Wiregate 50 is a Crowpod heart and hand crossover which may contain language and themes that may not be suitable for everybody. And this is episode 9 of the series. If you've missed any of them, you can find them wherever you get the Crowpod or heart and hand. Just look for Wiregate 50. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But the way to handle this now is for us to have Walters call back right and just say, stay the hell out of this. Do you remember your President Nixon? We have a cancer within the close to the presidency that's growing. It's growing daily. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. What really hurts in matters of this sort is not the fact that they occur, because overzealous people in campaigns do things that are wrong. What really hurts is if you try to cover it up. Because only if you've been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. Watergate at 50, the Crowpod Heart and Hand crossover series here with me and Shane and, uh, of course, David Edgar. And we're on to episode nine now, David. I, th- I think, uh, well, Postscript. I, th- I think that, that, that'll that work. That's a good app title for here because well, yeah. this is this is everything that's uh, that comes after, for, for better or worse. Yes, it is. And uh, we move into the, the winter period of Richard Nixon's life. It was touch and go for a wee while. A lot of people thought immediately after this that... Uh, he he maybe wouldn't make it. His health did suffer, uh, as you might imagine. Um, but more mentally, I think a lot of people felt he lost weight, he stopped eating, he was unfocused and rambling. But literally nobody else in the history of the world chain has experienced what he's experienced. Nobody has been removed, and it's okay saying he resigned, but he was removed from the presidency. Yeah. It has never happened. Nobody has had that experience. There's nobody you can go and speak to about it. Nobody you can go, not even a, a fellow ex-president. Um, so, of course, it would it would have a significant effect on him. But being Nixon, uh, one thing we can always say about Tricky Dick, he did rebound. And uh, once he had got his equilibrium back, 
it was all steam ahead. There's a wonderful interview with a venerable old institution, you'll, you'll know better than me, Barbara Walters of US Broadcasting, where he yes. was asked if he had ever reached out to the guys who'd gone to jail and very calmly, very composedly, and with no hint of regret, he said, no. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. He, he, got, he, he got over it. He got over it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that there's... Well, I mean, he 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 left he left his best friends. You know, he hung them out to dry. Uh, in the final days of the White House, you know, the 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 time that we covered last week, Bob Haldeman and John Ehrlichman repeatedly tried to reach out. Of course, Alexander Haig by that point acting well as Haldeman and Ehrlichman had in years past as the as the wall between Nixon and everybody else. Haig Haig was doing it more out of a sense of um, well, complete self preservation and self promotion. Then I think uh, Haldeman and Ehrlichman actually cared about the office and their friend, but uh, reached out repeatedly trying to get Nixon to fulfill well, his promise of a pardon that he had given them when they resigned in 73 uh, to try to well, basically end Watergate. Uh, of course, that did not work, but the, you know the, they'd taken the bullet for him. And uh, when it came time to return the favor, Nixon, uh, well, did not. And, you know, for whatever... Gerald Ford's motivations were, and we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode. Um, well, he, he was more than happy to return the favor to Nixon and granting him a pardon just a month after leaving the office. So, uh, yeah, it's um, I mean, and, and Nixon, you know, he, he was isolated, you know, as you, as you were saying there. I mean, mentally, he wasn't fit. I mean, immediately he leaves, they go home to San Clemente, and uh, as Cy Hirsch reported years later, and certainly after Nixon's death. He had empirical evidence from a hospital that Pat Nixon had been admitted to because Nixon had gotten drunk and punched her a couple times to the point where she had to go get treatment. You know, and these are in the first few days uh, upon returning home. Nixon, I think more. Well, you you can hear it. He he does. But I I think, you know, you can hear it and how he, he always talked about Nixon planned on retiring on January 20th, 1977. Right. And suddenly he was retired, you know, beyond his own volition. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, as as you're saying there, no, there's no one to talk to about leaving the office like this because the only people who have left in a body bag, you know, he didn't have a way to go. Well, how the hell do you deal with this? Because there was, I mean, Johnson kind of maybe could have commiserated with him, but of course, you know, he's, well, he's gone. So. Uh, stra- so no, there, there, there is no one the there. There is no one there. The strain and of he... what that him killed him. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I think it does come back to the fact that Nixon is tough fundamentally. I mean, and he does. He's a man. Himself. He's a man. He is, but he, he he's a survivor, is what he is, because he's he's yeah. been through a lot in his career by this stage that would have ended the vast majority of political careers, but he has this almost superhuman determination to pick himself back up. Now, of course, that's not, it sounds like praise, it's not. It, it, it's a necessary facet of, a, of his character because he puts himself in these positions where he has to bounce back repeatedly. Yeah. That's the, the issue with him, the, the darkness at the, the heart of his core. But, um, yeah, we get into the, 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 the famous meeting about the, the pardon. And he was very, um, initially, he wasn't particularly bothered. And again, I think we're dealing with a guy who was mentally not as acute as he normally would be. And there's the the story of Benton Becker, a lawyer that um, 
from the White House that Gerald Ford sent him to discuss the uh, to discuss the, the the pardon with, and he's he's saying, you know, do you understand what's happening, Mr. President? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, and looking out the window and talking about how he doesn't have any presidential accoutrements to give away anything, you know, that they've taken it away from him. And Becker goes back and says, I don't think that guy's long for this world. Um, but he's been told he knows what a pardon involves. Um, but yeah, he'd made promises to his people. And those those promises were not to be... Uh, he was to get a pardon eventually, but nobody else was. And you're absolutely right, Shane, that his view on it never really changed, which is you have to take the fall for me. That's part of the trade. That was always yeah. part of it. And it's interesting because you get guys like Ehrlichman and Haldeman who during it, we've discussed before, it's a tough, macho White House. It's very, you know, we are men, as you mentioned there, you know, we, we, we just, we, we, we don't mind. We're, we're not scared of anything. And there's a lot of, you know, oh, I'd take a bullet for the president. His view was, here's the bullet. Yeah. You know, this is this is it. You guys yeah. said that, you know, don't worry, sir, we're loyal to the, it means you have to go to jail. And it turned out a lot of these tough guys were um, very prepared to say, that they would do anything for the bullet, take uh, for the boss, take a bullet, etc. Then when it came through their own dirty deeds, remember nobody nobody made them do this. They they weren't. I understand the sense of frustration because who wouldn't be frustrated? You know, I did this for you, and you didn't help me out when the time came. But his view, rightly or wrongly, and I'll I'll leave it to the individual conscience of. Uh, the people involved, but his view was this was the deal. This is when you signed up to be what you were in the Richard Nixon machine. This was always a possibility. Um, get on with it, and he he didn't lose sleep over it. No, I think you know. Well, just like with Watergate, there is no right or wrong answer for why. You know, I mean, it's it's as you said, you know, it's it's up to the individual listener and. and you know, with with this deal, I mean, again, you know, Nixon just say he went back to San Clemente. He's still getting paid. He's still got Ron Ziegler there with him, but that's about it. And and you know, Ziegler would talk later. I mean, Nixon would just wake up, have breakfast, and go sit at his desk from seven a.m. and and nothing nothing to do whatsoever. He'd just sit there alone with Ron for hours and hours and hours. And this went on for the first few weeks until you know it was it was Ford's people that reached out to Nixon. Uh, to, 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 because obviously, look, the pardon had been discussed, right? The pardon, whether or not, look, you know, you get, you can, you can maybe debate the, the intricacies of it. Is it actually a quid pro pro if you don't specifically lay out details, you know? Yeah. So th- this is how you get the, the vagaries around Haig's conversation with Ford in the last days before Nixon leaves. Implicit but it, versus it, it, explicit, but yes, it was. Yes, it, it was yes. certainly discussed in some fashion. There's zero doubt yes. about that. Yeah, and so Ford, of course, comes out, and and Nixon is still. Well, again, as David said, as we've said repeatedly, as Nixon said until the day he died, he did nothing wrong, and Ford had insisted at the front that that Nixon would have to show some kind of contrition. You know, as as we've seen with with a number of people throughout this series, uh, that that one of the best things that they could do for rebuilding their image 
um, in a lot of their cases, getting back into polite society. It's a little bit different because Nixon had been president and not just a guy that worked for the president. <laughs> but uh, that, that does make that access point slightly more attainable. But, of course, Nixon would not do this, and, and Ford just acquiesced to it because, I mean, Ford, you know, we're going to get to some of it here, but, I mean, th- th- this was – Gerald Ford was not Dick Nixon. Gerald Ford wasn't fucking Spiro Wagnew, let alone not Dick no. Nixon. He was not built he, – he, he never should have been president, right? He was never elected to an office of this level. He somehow just fell into it through a whole lot of chance coincidences and, and being – willing during his time in congress to 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 really well to to carry nixon's water uh to a large degree during during his time in in the house of representatives yeah i mean i you and i disagree slightly on gerald ford and i think we might throughout the episode um but not that's what makes it fun for the listener right exactly (laughs) but but that's why you and me can continue to have these debates year in year out uh because it's we never lose we never lose interest in it but um he, uh, the one thing I don't disagree with you on fundamentally is he should never have been president. He wasn't capable of being it. Now, there's been other bad presidents, of course there have. Um, but even to get the presidency, you do have to come through a fairly challenging process to do that, right? Yeah. Like being elected yeah. president of the United well, look, States. Look, look, look Andrew, Johnson, Andrew Johnson had to try to run for president <laughs> to become vice president to end up in the presidency. He was on a right? ticket, exactly. Yes. He was on there a there t- was something to it. Ford, and, and Ford never never was in a national he election. Was never, he, he never went out there and was challenged the way you are. And you are challenged as you go through. The, the, the process. It's, it's a vetting process. That's the point of it. It's a very tough one. Uh, it's a yes. weird one. And uh, as Ehrlichman said, it means we end up with these strange men who are able <laughs> to survive it. And so far, it has only been men. I'm not being sexist, folks. Um, but it, the one thing I, I would absolutely agree with there is that he shouldn't have been it. He didn't have the abilities to do it. He'd never been on a ticket to, to get there. He was elected because he was harmless. Everybody yeah. got on with him. Everyone liked him. He didn't have an edge. Now, that meant Gerald Ford was probably one of the more decent human beings who's been in the office. <laughs> yes. yeah. Right? But it didn't mean, <laughs> didn't mean he was competent to do it. And he takes over at this incredibly difficult time. Um, he did have good people around him. Um, Robert Hartman, who was with him, was, was a very good guy. And it's he who writes the speech, Our Long National Nightmare is Over, which is, yeah. is a beautiful line. And, it, and it, it, it did sum it up. I think rather well, but it wasn't over because the country was divided and you had yeah. people saying, okay, these guys have gone to jail. What about the ringleader? Surely yeah. you, 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 in any criminal conviction, you go up the ladder and you try to hook the biggest fish. You don't want the little guys at the bottom. You know, you don't, you don't want the street hoods. You want Tony Soprano. And <laughs> that that's a legitimate thing. Now, his take on it was America was not in a good place. You know, the the economy was was uh, not doing well at all. There was trouble in the Middle East. They were still in the middle of a Cold War with the Soviets. Let's not forget that. Well, here, here, you know, let, let's take. We, we got a minute here. We we can listen to some. This is some of Ford's speech from again. This is one month out from Nixon leaving the White House. This is September eighth, nineteen seventy four. Finally, I feel that Richard Nixon and his loved ones have suffered enough and will continue to suffer no matter what I do, no matter what we as a great and good nation can do together to make his goal of peace come true. Now, therefore, I, Gerald R. Ford, 
President of the United States, pursuant to the pardon power conferred upon me by Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, have granted, and by these presents do grant, a full, free, and absolute pardon unto Richard Nixon for all offenses against the United States which he, Richard Nixon, has committed or may have committed or taken part in during the period from July 20, 1969 through August 9, 1974. I, I, I think, I don't disagree with you in terms of, uh, well, Ford, be, Ford, Ford was a nice guy, right? But I, I, I think what that allowed was someone like Nixon or the people around him who were very good at this, who were incredibly good at this, some of the best politicians that the world has ever seen, knew how to manipulate someone like him because like the caricature of Ford on the Simpsons is not that bad a representation. No, a uh, lovely man. I'd, I'd love to yes. go for the... I, I, uh, I would love to sit and watch a Michigan football yes. game with him and have a beer. And, 100%. Yes. <laughs> would love, like, you know, you would invite Gerald Trent. He's a kindly old grandfatherly type. At a time when there was a new type of inflation called stagflation, he was not the guy you wanted in the White House. And <laughs> to put this into perspective, folks, Gerald Ford, lovely man, but to put into to, to perspective his ineffectiveness, one of his plans for dealing with uh, inflation, that they had this series of recommendations for people to do, and it included handing out badges with whip inflation now or win on them, to which, of course, the country <laughs> collectively went, are you fucking kidding me that this is, you know, you're handing out badges about it. It's just a nice man that shouldn't be nowhere near that level of office. He shouldn't have been near the vice presidential office, in all honesty. He, he was no, a nice no. bloke, perfectly good congressman, decent human being. Party hack, don't, you know, don't don't be fooled by that. He was a complete not a party man. But he he gets put in basically because nobody would object to him. And in any set of circumstance, if you pick somebody that everyone can live with, as opposed to somebody who certain people really love and believe in, then you're never really going to get anywhere doing that. Somebody's got to have a vision for good or for bad, and they've got to put it in place. He didn't have a vision. He never expected to be there. And he comes in and he's, he's firefighting. And the biggest thing that faces him, of course, Shane, is... What are we going to do about the bloke who's currently holed up sitting at a desk eight hours a day in San Clemente that the whole country is talking about constantly? And one of his advisors said a very interesting thing to him. He said, one of your problems, Mr. President, is that we as a nation are addicted to Watergate. He said, I am missing getting up in the morning and running to get the <laughs> newspaper and then getting home at night and seeing what's happening. Um, they're not going to give it up easy. And that's what prompts his decision about the about the pardon. Um which yeah. and it you know, when uh, we're gonna talk about it now, when it's granted, it 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 keeps Richard Nixon out of jail and it completely makes sure that Gerald Ford has no chance of ever being elected <laughs> as president of the United States. 
Well, I, I, you know, Ford for this, we're talking about Nixon. Nixon's idea was you take the bullet no matter what. <laughs> Again, Ford, Ford didn't have this kind of mindset. And, and his first, his press secretary, a very, very good, close personal friend of his, yes. uh, Gerald Terhorst, I mean, resigned immediately. Within a month. Because, yeah, you know, it just, th- this is unconscionable. That yep. you again, and 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 his position was, you know, what I was saying that you are allowing yourself to be manipulated by a man who has no power anymore. This is a man Republican who had to This is yeah. not a bleeding heart Democrat. This is a big Republican, Jerry Terhorst, um, press yeah. man. Good at his job, by the way. The press liked Very him. Good. Was, get, was yep. getting he was getting favorable. Really, I mean, the first month, if you you read some of the articles, uh, as I'm sure Shane will tell you as well. People are saying, wow, what a great, you know, his approval rate was through the roof. Um, yeah, it was about 70, 75% compared yeah. to Nixon's 12, I think, when he left Dro- office. Drops so. to 45 the day of yep. the pardon and never recovers. Yep. Um, but his own staff are saying, you can't do this. And the criticism of it is is absolutely wild um, from some quarters. Other quarters, to be fair, we, we should balance, um, are still saying things like, well, the man suffered enough. Um, yeah. which is true. Now, his reasons for doing it, and he spoke about it a lot, and I tend to agree with this, and I know that you don't, is that he couldn't get on with anything because it was just a shadow, and he couldn't have the situation where, for let's face it, it would have been 10 years minimum, a president was up, in, an ex-president was up in court fighting yeah, I think now we've spoken about this quite a lot throughout the show. One of the big questions that's come through this show, Shane, is I think, is a president above the law? And the conclusion I've sort of had to come to over the years is not in theory, but in practice. Effectively. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he is. Well, well uh, you know, to, to what you're saying there, I mean, Ford ends up being uh, the first, I, I want to say the first sitting president since Lincoln. Uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, to testify before the House of Representatives, because connected. the House, okay, the House, they 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 call him uh, about another month, month and a half out from the pardon to to come up and go. All right, you gotta explain this one to us, man. Like, yeah. you, we, we want to know what the what the fuck was going through you had here. We need <laughs> walk through this one. <laughs> so, I mean, Ford does. He goes and he gives a very Jerry Ford performance here. Quite he, he, here's, yeah, no, I mean, he he did fight back at points. It, it, it's it's honestly, it's probably the most combative that you will ever yeah. see Ford in any public appearance. So there there are. There are more private conversations, that, one of which we may get to here. But here, here he is. Well, t- talking with Liz Holtzman, who came up uh, earlier in the series. There, she was on the Judiciary Committee, the the one that uh, voted to impeach President Nixon. And and here's Ford trying to. Well, just why? What, what what the fuck were you thinking, man? Mr. Ford, you stated that uh, the theory on which you pardoned uh, Richard Nixon was that he had suffered enough, and I. I'm interested in that theory because the logical consequence of that is that somebody who resigns in the face of virtually certain impeachment or somebody who is impeached should not be punished because the impeachment or the resignation in face of impeachment is punishment enough. And I wondered whether anybody had brought to your attention the fact that the Constitution specifically states that even though somebody is impeached, that person shall nonetheless be liable to punishment according to law. Uh, Mrs. Holtzman, I was fully cognizant of uh, the fact that the president, uh, on resignation, uh, was accountable uh, for any criminal charges. Uh, 
but I would like to say that the reason I gave the pardon was not as to Mr. Nixon himself. I repeat, and I repeat with emphasis, the purpose of the pardon was to try and get the United States, the Congress, the President, and the American people focusing on the serious problems we have both at home and abroad. And I was absolutely convinced then, as I am now, that if we had had this series, an indictment, a trial, a conviction, and anything else that transpired after that, that the attention of the President, the Congress, and the American people would have been diverted from the problems that we have to solve. And that was the principal reason for my granting of the pardon. To Ford's credit, and, and I do agree with you in these regards, that this would have taken years, right? There's no no way around that. Years, years, years to comb through all this shit. I mean, some of the Watergate trials stemming from this took years. Imagine how long it would have taken to prosecute the president. Um, Ford was very good and very quick because he was listening to people like Haig again at this point. Again, he's he's already lost some of his friends who were maybe more of a moral compass to him uh, because of because of the pardon that he's back on this this line that we heard all throughout Nixon right from from the time of the break in to the end of his presidency that we need to get on with the running of the country in Nixon's case that was self-preservation right because you know as we talked about in the last episode there 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 was an end you know there, there was a finish line and it was January 20th, 1977, right? That was, Nixon had that in front of him and that's where he needed to get to. That was it. Ford's case, I I do believe it. I think it is sincere, but again, this is a line that he got from Nixon. This is a line that had been fed through the party, uh, which, you know, as, as we'll come to here in a little bit, starts becoming increasingly more insular in terms of, I, th- I think I said this back in the very first episode. The lesson that they learned is not don't do it. The lesson is circle the wagons when you do, you know, and yep. that that Ford sadly kind of becomes, well, he, he does. He, he's a fall guy for that. You know, I mean, he had no chance of winning the 1976 election. Nope. I mean, the, the Democrats could have put up anybody and quite frankly, I mean, they did. <laughs> 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 I, mean, I love Jimmy Carter again. A very look. We probably had the two nicest presidents in our history back to back right here. Very, very wonderful people. People who were never cut out to be president no. of the United States. Can I just um, give you the Christopher Hitchens line on that yes. when he was discussing Reagan? I said I could see why Americans went for Reagan. He, was, he hated Reagan. He said I could see the why Americans went for Reagan after two presidents who were downright evil, Johnson and Nixon, and two morons. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, to, to, to the Reagan part here. here here's here's a the, this is Henry Smith. Who uh, again? Uh, Republican. Oh, uh, uh, All right. Okay. <laughs> Republican on the on the Judiciary Committee, and, and one what again? It's it's weird. Still at this time, we've had to spend a lot of time explaining Southern Democrats, and we've had to spend a lot of time explaining Republicans like like Smith, who are in well more what we would consider liberal districts these days. I mean, Smith was the one who who suggested and, and really wanted. Uh, the, the Judiciary Committee to take up articles of impeachment for Nixon's bombing of Cambodia. This wasn't mm-hmm. a Democrat idea. 
this came out of the Republican Party. Imagine that. So, <laughs> yeah, it fucking insane. Um, but no, here, here, here's Smith. Here's Smith with, with some of the final comments of, of Ford's uh, Ford's hearing here before the before the Judiciary Committee. Mr. Smith, Mr. Chairman, just before we uh, adjourn this hearing, I again would like to uh, commend the president and thank him for coming. I think, Mr. President, that you have probably opened a new era between the executive and the legislative departments, and I am very happy for it. Mr. Chairman, uh, I want to express to you and to the other members of the committee or subcommittee my appreciation uh, for the fine manner and I think the fair way in which this uh, uh, meeting was held this morning. I uh, felt that it was absolutely essential because I'm the only one who could explain uh, the background and the decision-making process. And I hope, as I said in my opening statement, Mr. Chairman, that I have at least uh, cleared the air so that most Americans will understand what was done and why it was done. And again, I trust that all of us can get back to the job of trying to solve our problems both at home and abroad. I thank you very, very much. Sadly, again, like David just said there, imagine a Republican today taking the kind of stance that Smith did. You know, he talks there that this is going to usher in a new era uh, of relations between the, the legislative and executive branch. And, and it did, but not not the era that he wanted, because what the Reagan White House learned and what Republicans have learned, because the, the people look, there were people within the Nixon White House. They don't they don't just suddenly leave politics. Right. They become part of the central politic of the Republican Party in the years going forward. And what you have is this reactionary bent and this push toward the unitary executive that, of course, we see, I mean, became a big thing under George W. Bush when people realized, oh, oh, fuck him. And well, Dick Cheney is pretty much doing whatever the hell he wants to do right now. (laughs) Um, That 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 was the lesson. You know, Smith is sitting there with a very nice man in front of him who came out and a president sat down for the first time in over a century and answered questions directly from the House Judiciary Committee, right? Over a century. And he thinks, man, that this is what it's going to be going forward. That's not what it is. The lesson, again, that Republicans learned was insulate the presidency even further from scrutiny by the legislative branch and, and take it completely out of any kind of oversight. Yeah, and this is the problem with the imperial presidency. And let's face it, Nixon absolutely believed, especially in foreign policy, that you don't get any say in this. No. <laughs> Other branches. Um, no. I've been elected to do it, and therefore it's my job to, to do this. But not only is it my job, it's also my sole discretion. And that's yeah. not how a democracy works. It, 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 it just simply isn't. But that was what he wanted. And he wanted to do it from behind this so-called German wall that uh, he wouldn't have to talk to anyone about it, including his own party, that he didn't want yeah. to, to get this stuff coming out. Um, he gets another... Uh, someone who read too many spy novels as a kid in Kissinger. And they, <laughs> and they play their silly little spy games and their, their silly little pointless secrecy. And... The good things that they do are completely overwhelmed by the bad things that they do because there is no one there to say, uh, yeah, we, we really have a right to take down a government in Chile. 
I don't, I don't think we do. Um, and there's no conscience and there's, there's no oversight of it. And this does lead to the first ever investigation of the the CIA, really. Um, yeah. Also, the NSC, the National Security yeah. Committee, um, who pretty much post-war had been doing whatever the hell they liked, wherever the hell they liked, and answering to, to nobody. And we said right back at the start of the show, um, Walters, the, the head of the CIA, and Nixon, uh, I think it was a newspaper machine who said, oh, I get it now that they've both got so much on each other they can barely breathe. And <laughs> that was how the CIA ran. It didn't run under the wing of any government. It ran sort of next to and its own its own world. So this does begin to, you know, that is one positive that comes out of it, that people are, are much more aware of it. And in a way, that's kind of one of the sad things. Good things but still sad things about Watergate is that people stopped believing their government and I yeah. think you can go too far the other way by the way I, not not to say you shouldn't be cynical about what governments do especially we see in the modern age a lot of it is quite frankly self-serving or based on what the donors want so you, you do need to have a degree of cynicism but there should also be some level of trust I think you're entitled to that to believe that the government is is doing the best for the country, uh, and Watergate maybe it was maybe I'm just being naive. Maybe it never happened. Watergate totally blows that out of water, and and it'll never come back now. Well, I I, I think you know something I brought back in the very early on in the series. And I can't remember now if it was Rick Perlman or who, but 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 one one of the people who knows more about the stuff than even me or David do. Um, you know, he he'd said that you know the. the Kennedy, the Kennedy assassination, more than anything, created conspiracy, right, in the American mind, because, well, there was room for it to breathe. And you had media outlets to carry that kind of stuff for the first time in history. You know, look, when Lincoln was shot, there weren't you didn't have television networks, uh, AM radio, uh, you know, all the different newspapers with all these other odd publications that, that can fill voids in people's minds. The president got shot by John Wilkes Booth because Booth was uh, you know he's a southerner <laughs> that's that's it kennedy th- there there was room there were voids to be filled and conspiracy fills those cracks and the problem that watergate created to to what you're saying there david in terms of people being able to trust government and people uh trusting their, their these benevolent leaders that appear on the glowing screen in their living room is that watergate proved conspiracy is true yeah, because here were the people, literally the most important, most powerful people in the world, have to engage in these kind of shenanigans in order to maintain that position. They feel, mm-hmm. and once you prove that's true, it opens the floodgates to well, the, all all this other, all this other, everything else creeping in. And, and no matter what you do, you, you know, like you said, the, the restructure of of intelligence gathering the uh, you know, they, they go back and, and look at campaign finance again and do it better this time. You know, I mean, this is one of the things that kicked off the whole problem for Nixon was was the restructure of campaign finance laws before the 1972 election. And he had to figure out how how, how do I sneak more money in? You know, I'm, I'm not winning by enough against a guy who's only going to end up winning one state in this fucking election. Yeah. Nixon still won. Look, we, we've gained, what, 180 million, 150 million in population. Nixon still got more votes in the 1972 election than anyone ever has. Yeah. Right. 
That's that's how much he won by, despite all the gains in population since then. Um, so they, they they rejig campaign finance. They amend the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, a lot more financial disclosures come into place. Again, I mean, more long term, one of the things is the, the American Bar Association kind of shits itself and goes, Fuck, all these guys were lawyers and we're a self-governing profession. We kind of need to do a little bit better job at this, you know. So, and, and many of these recommendations are things that actually come out of the Sam Irving Committee. You know, as I said, the, the, the Irving Committee for the purpose of entertainment ceased in the summer of 1973, but they kept doing work right up to the end of the Nixon presidency. And a lot of these recommendations that come out, uh, again, the, the rejigging of of how uh, intelligence gathering works and and all these other all these other acts all come from Sam Irvin's committee, basically. They're all the recommendations of the Irving Committee. No, absolutely. And I think the that's an important uh, an important benefit, is that the right word, that, that comes out, if you can have yeah. a benefit of such a traumatic experience, is that the, there are good things that, that come out of this. But the, the damage it's done to the body politic, and that's why when we get to you know we're at the pardon he pardons him you figured that by now folks um (laughs) he goes on tv one sunday morning and sits down and he announces he is granted a full free what is it a full free and frank uh Uh, or full free and complete something like that full full free and absolute full free and absolute absolute pardon absolute pardon to richard nixon um which he's allowed to do he's the president you you have that yeah i mean that clip we heard look these are the powers given to me in article 2 section 2 of the constitution i can can do do this shit he can and (laughs) um his point which he repeated throughout his life and and it is true is that if you accept a pardon which nixon did then you accept wrongdoing now we're going to come to though yeah. the fact he, he didn't apologize for it publicly because, as Shane said, he doesn't think he he should, doesn't think he needs no. to. So well, well, I think I mean Ford Ford for for the rest of his life carried a, a portion of a was it Burdick v United States? I want to say it's a 1915 case, Supreme Court case, and and part of it stated that pardon carries um, an acceptance an of guilt or yeah. a confession of guilt. Uh, of course, Nixon, being a lawyer, did not agree with this case, <laughs> and yes. and and being and being a president who just accepted a pardon from another president really didn't believe what this no, case. No, he said, didn't so. agree with that, so he no. wouldn't make a statement. And they tried, they tried to make him make a statement of yeah. contrition, and he wouldn't. Um, so he takes the pardon, and Bedlam breaks out, and that's a damage to the body politic because things are so divided that there's always now going to be this constant. And I think you get the the basis of what we've grown into now with this complete loathing, two sides who will not back down on anything and will say, if if side A say it's red, side B will say it's green. And if it's in the other way around, then they'll just automatically do it. And that comes from this. And that is, I think, a direct consequence of the damage to the body politic of it. So he has been pardoned. And he heads off. Now, he immediately faces huge financial bills for lawyers and, you know, tax well, well, he had I, well, to repay. Even before that, I mean, he almost dies, which I think is... Oh, the old phlebitis. Comes yeah, the back. phlebitis. Well, yeah. He, he ends up, I mean, was it? his doctors basically told him, look, you, you need to have an operation now or you're going to die. Yeah. And, and he, he Nixon, Nixon no, I mean, reluctantly chooses to have the surgery you know i mean he's literally got doc- and again th- this is the mental state of the man right now 
you got a doctor who said, look, Dick, you either do this or you're going to be fucking dead in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Fuck. And All his, right. his, family have, <laughs> nah, his family have to go down on knees and yeah. tears and his daughters and stuff because he's like, ah, fuck it, because, you know, he doesn't particularly want to yeah. be alive anymore. It's done. Um, and he, he comes well, 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 at this time, at this time, too, I mean, he's under subpoena critically for the trial of, uh, well, again, John Arkman and Bob Haldeman, but also John Dean. Mm. Um, in the Washington Post, it's one of the few, I, I would say, I, I didn't like things that the Post did during this time. But, you know, they, they, put, they, they didn't think he was actually sick, basically. And they put him on a political cartoon, uh, you, you know, with, with uh, what was it? They, they, they put a cast on the wrong foot or something like that. <laughs> um, but but John Sirica, you know, you know, lets him go. I mean, the, the, the biggest part to this. Um, and again, it's it's well, this is part of the pardon. I think it's part of the pardon that Nixon hadn't thought about. Um, was that without the prospect of being charged with a crime, there would be no reason for him to assert his Fifth Amendment privileges to to, to avoid self-incrimination. Yep. He was going to have to testify in these trials truthfully and honestly, and if he lied, he was going to go to jail for that. He couldn't be pardoned for perjuring himself on the stand in these trials. Yep. And that, that put him in a really bad position. Ford immediately says, look, Congress, Congress goes to Ford and says, look, pardon, whatever. You got to keep his fucking papers. We want the papers and we want the tapes, which sets off the legal battle that would consume the rest of Nixon's life. And, of course, the Republicans get their asses handed to him in the 1974 midterm elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it was that they lost 43 House seats. And uh, three or three or four in the Senate. I can't remember the number. And, and then, of course, you know, as we said, two years later, everybody's not over this yet. And you, you get Jimmy Carter as president. But no, I mean, the interim, I mean, Nixon, this this has to be by far between this, the moment of the pardon and the 74 elections up until Carter comes into the White House. And Nixon, I think, kind of feels that, well, a need to be back in public life. But this time in between, no, it's it's bad it's very bad for him no it, it truly is and it as you say it, it leads to a complete massacre at the polls i don't think that's in any way surprising uh it would have been shocking actually if it had gone the other way and it doesn't recover in time for, for 76 and you're right nixon now has this minefield to negotiate which he sort of does with that mixture of low cunning timing a bit of luck here and there uh enough people being willing to bat for him and he sort of comes through it and he has to make money now he can't be he can't be going back to the law he knows that for obvious reasons uh <laughs> was he disbarred actually i can't i i I, I, was think, I can't remember if he was i feel like he. i don't know almost everybody was yeah i, I, I feel i feel I, like he, he wasn't disbarred but they basically told but him, it was kind of yeah don't yeah if, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if you attempt to do this then yeah we're going to fall out with you basically yeah I, uh, I, again again it's it's easier to go after all the people that work for the president but yeah. doing it to the president is, is yeah. a step that a lot of organizations didn't want to take no and i think the bar were exactly the same there as well so he he, he right what am i going to do to make money he gets offered a very lucrative book deal and this is the most nixonian thing ever he writes this enormous enormous book called rn right uh see what he did there and 
if you now the the publisher is expecting Watergate, right? Yes, but yeah. they make the mistake of giving him a two million dollar advance. Now, the thing about an advance is. It's gone once you give it over. <laughs> if he delivers you a book to the contract, which he will, of course, then yep. then there's nothing you can do. So he writes the book. Oh, it takes a while because, as we've mentioned, it's enormous. And to be fair, there's a lot to get in. We, we said last week this was one of the most significant figures in 20th century world history. Um, and he goes through it all. And not surprisingly, he's keen to dwell on his foreign policy triumphs and his <laughs> six of the Alger his case. He's, he's, he's keen to do it that. So he comes to Watergate and it's sort of as you'd expect. He talks around it. It's elliptical. If he ever does get close to accepting blame, it's the old, yeah, I should have minded the store better, these underlings of mine who all ran off and did all this stuff without my knowledge. And he just sort of skirts past everything. He delivers this book. It's an immediate bestseller, though, so I don't think the publishers care. Um because it, it doesn't matter. No, no, yeah, they're, they're piling. I mean, they got yeah, wheelbarrows yeah. filled with cash flying in the fucking door. Like yeah. Scrooge McDuck out there. Yeah, exactly. Know. They, they don't, <laughs> but, you know, and it's worth a read, folks, if you're interested in Nixon. But please, is, read yeah. it with, please read it with the caveat all the time in your mind of this is very much his version, not even his <laughs> memories of the story, his version of the story. Yeah. And uh, he still needs money because he still has these these big bills. He still has, you know, to run his staff at this stage. He still has lots of stuff he needs money for to upkeep on his properties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So, he's got to pay Ron Ziegler to sit there with him every day, you know. <laughs> he, well, exactly. He needs to, no, he needs to pay for the staff, hundred yeah. percent. Um. So he's kind of right. What What will I do now? And oh, 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 you know, we're we're going where we're going. Let's Let's take the break here. Let's Let's do the quick quick break. We're coming back for well, I, th- I think one of the more iconic moments in the post Watergate era. I mean, th- this yeah. is something that still, I mean, holds a place in the conscience of the country. It so holds a place in the conscience of anybody who gives a shit about this stuff. So, quick break, coming right back, part two. It's good to be king, just for a while, to be there in velvet, yeah, to give them a smile. It's good to get high. Come down. It's good to be king of your own little town. Yeah, the world would swing. Oh, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner. Adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back into Watergate 50. Again, the heart and hand crossover with the, with the Crow Pod here. And uh, as, as always, if you guys like the show, you like anything we do here on the Crow Pod, scroll down and hit that Buy Me a Coffee link. Give us a hand. If you're one of the Ranger supporters listening to this, you, you can win some stuff from, uh, from our friends over there at The Famous. 
And of course, everything Heart and Hand, you just go to uh, heartandhand.co.uk, help them out on their Patreon. You can be a patron on Patreon. I finally got it. After nine episodes, I finally got it. A patron <laughs> so, on Patreon. I like yes. that. Yeah. But no, give us a hand. And again, two folks, look, we are definitely planning on doing at least one listener participation episode if not a couple um and i have gotten some voicemails from some of you guys that's great thank you very much uh but there is again down in the show notes here if we scroll down wherever you're listening to this there's a link in there where you can basically leave us a voicemail with any questions or if you want us to expand on something further if you want to tell us that we're fucking awesome that's good too I'll, i'll be more than happy to play those um, if you want to tell us we're fucking awful, then remember what your mother said about <laughs> if you can't say something nice, um, <laughs> don't say anything at all. And look, look, and don't forget to. Me and David are well versed in, in, in. Look, we like Richard Nixon. Think about the stuff that we could do to you, right? Yeah. yeah, so, yeah we, we, so we've so we've we've about the it. Shit. Yeah, we, we've learned at the feet of let's face it, the absolute master of this of bastardry. So uh, we've we've got teams of plumbers out there, and you've never heard of them because we learned the mistakes that we didn't hire G. Gordon Liddy for a start <laughs> off. Um, right there, doing things, but please do. It. In fact, do it right now. Just go pause, yep. go leave us a question, and absolutely, it will make for a fun show next week. But yep. yeah, so he decides he's going to sell an exclusive interview. Yep. And it's slightly different to what I think in the modern age we would consider an interview, Shane. I think these days, and this is a sad thing that we've kind of lost, interviews these days would be, you know, half an hour, an hour, really. That's what you get. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you, you watch like 60 Minutes interviews with, yeah. with the president and stuff. I mean, obviously there's a lot more to them than you see. But the, but the typical kind of interview of a even an executive at like the state level or say you know somebody like your first minister you're, you're talking about a two hour time window normally where you know you go in if you're doing it for TV you get some of the canned footage of walking around yeah. you know wherever you're doing there and, oh look, let me point at this thing over here and look at <laughs> look at me tell you a funny anecdote now you laugh you <laughs> laugh you know. Um, <laughs> You know, they're, they're, they're a couple hours, but no, I mean, the, the, the Nixon Frost interview, I mean, it's 12 interviews over mm-hmm. four weeks. Mm-hmm. He I says, mean, this, to... this is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, you should get your money's worth because he decides 100%. he's going char- to charge $600,000 for it. Now, that's which, a... which is about two and a half to three million dollars today. Just yeah, just to give you some context. That there. is a shitload of money. Yes. And, <laughs> of course, it is immediately TV companies are well, we want this, right? You know, this this is going to be huge. It's going to be, it's guaranteed ratings. It's a lot of money, but it's, you know, it will fill hours of primetime television. It's actually quite cheap for what you get because think about how much it costs to produce an hour of drama, for example, or yeah. an hour of an action show. With and this, the- this is far better drama than, uh, than oh, anything. Yeah, God, yeah. Well, I, look, Dick Wolf couldn't come up with this kind of no, shit. No, I mean, this, <laughs> this, is, this is the stuff, man. But all you really need are a few cameras and a, and a setting and boom, you're, yep. you're off. So it gets offered out to various TV companies and there's interest from all over the world. I don't think a bookmaker in in the entire planet could have come up with who actually gets this because it's so far out of out of his own comfort zone. Now, David Frost, if you're my age in Britain, you grew up with David Frost being the venerable old, um, you know, national treasure legend of British broadcasting, which he was. But he's at this time he's been on the TV for fifteen years and he's he's seen differently. He's not seen as a heavyweight. He's not no. 
seen as a polite. He, he got his, his sort of main coming to fame was in satirical shows. Well, they did deal with stories of the day and news stories, uh, and he would have not not the week that was uh, not the the week that was and things like that. And he worked, you know, with the guys from Python, and he worked with Marty Feldman, some some real comic genius, Tim Brooke Taylor, all these guys, right? But he was seen as being, you know, a bit of a woman's man and a uh, bit of a playboy. And he's not going in on behalf of a TV company. He goes in on behalf of himself as an independent yeah. producer. D- D- David Paradigm Productions, I think yep. is the name he, of his company. He, he, will, he will pay for it. And, and this is actually, you know, good business sense in a, in a way that he'll pay for it up front himself. He'll pay the fee. He'll pay for the staging costs. And then he will, he'll be free then. He'll own it and he can sell it to every TV company in the world that wants it. Yep. So the problem is he doesn't have the around about $2 million it's going to take all in to do this. Um, so he mortgages his house, he borrows, he gets backers. He is in it to the absolute hilt. If this thing isn't interesting, then he is fucked because people are going to want to see it before they lash out the money on it. Uh, and they're going to decide if it's worth if it's worth bothering with if it's worth. Well, well it, it was another. It wasn't another. Uh, John Burt wasn't he the uh, the, the British? Uh, he was a current affairs mm-hmm. news news production whiz. I mean, he he was one of the guys that fronted the money for this. Yeah, he um, ended up being the the director general of the BBC. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, like like David said, the big thing here, American networks didn't want to. Talk, Frost was really. I mean, he was putting himself on the line here. And Nixon agreed with Frost because well he what was it in seventy seventy or seventy one he'd done some interviews with him before that, that you know we're, we're kind of a softball thing yeah you know? he, and he didn't want you know he didn't want to be sitting there with no no he no he didn't want everybody. fucking Barbara Walters or Dan Rather or someone yeah, like that no day, yeah no he Good he Lord. wanted he wanted it reminds me a lot if you want a modern equivalent and again this is going to sound strange to British viewers who grew up watching David Frost after this where he does achieve a, a level of um, import and fame that he didn't have before it that um, this was the equivalent at the time that O.J. Simpson gave his exclusive interview to Richard and Judy um, <laughs> because he, you know there were certain questions he just didn't want and he didn't want and then we get this great gladiatorial or gladiatorial sorry um, contest between these two where you have David Frost who is Desperate. This is basically a debate for 12, yeah. 12 hours, as she mentioned. This is not um, right. I'm going well, no, to ask you. It was more. No, it was tw- 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 twenty-eight hours of twenty-eight hours of discussions. Tw- yeah. Twelve interview sessions totally. So I mean, you got to think about this. Too. I mean, in, in the whole of it, was there about five hours that were released ultimately, or, or seven? I think seven, seven hours maybe total. There's another twenty plus hours of this stuff. That, uh, we've seen some of, uh, you know, like with the Frost Nixon film that had some more parts of the interviews and whatnot attached to it. But there's still around 15 to 20 hours of this thing that nobody it's never been released. No. The only person, the, the people who've seen it are David Frost and his production company. And that's that's it. And it's very dry. It's only it's the kind of thing it that is. really only yeah. you and me would watch. Um, yeah. but it's it's very because <laughs> again and again and again and again. <laughs> right at the start, Nixon's people tell Frost, okay, these are the conditions. And remember, Frost is desperate for this deal and they know it. Right? Yep. So he'll agree to things that a TV network won't. So for instance, 
you can break the interview down into four sections. It's got to be on early life, I think was one. Foreign policy, of course, yeah. was yeah. another one. <laughs> uh, vice presidential career and then, you know, his presidency, which will incorporate Watergate. Now, remember, yeah. Watergate's not a separate subject in that. You can only do it as part of. And if you just go straight in with Watergate, he's just going to clam up and say, that's not what we're discussing at this section of thing. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do because you've signed up to this. So, Frost, as the movie does show rather well, has to sit down with his guys, his researchers, and say, "What do we want to get from this?" Well, we want a, a, a you know, a, an apology, ideally, um, from him. That'll be the hook. That'll be the selling point. He's never done this, and they have to sit down and come up with it. And it's a battle. I mean, it's, as Shane mentioned, this interview is a battle of Frost desperately trying to get him. On to more interesting things. And Nixon sitting there saying, so of course in 1959 I met Khrushchev. Yeah, but can we talk about... No, no, please let me finish, Mr. Frost. You've you've asked a question. Please allow me to answer. And he's not a political interviewer. So no. Nick, all of Nixon's political interview... Tra- you don't get to be the president of the USA if you can't handle an interviewer, right? You will have a technique of some sort to be able to do it. And you'll be masterful at it, regardless of whether you think they're an effective prime minister or not. You will have techniques. And Frost is getting battered, absolutely battered. And the interview is coming across, not through his own attempts, but just because Nixon is winning, as the most boring, straightforward, isn't Richard Nixon the greatest guy who ever lived? (laughs) Piece of shit you've ever seen. And he's panicking because no fucker is going to pay for this puff piece. No, well, it's, it's strange too. I mean, just from the front, I mean, obviously Nixon wanted this to be done at his home there in San Clemente, but they, they could, what, what was it? There was something about Coast Guard. Weren't were there some Coast Guard transmitters off the coast that, that would fuck with the, the television? Oh, that's what they or said. Something like that. That's yeah, what they yeah. said. Yeah. yeah but no, true. I mean, it, yes, no, of course it wasn't. Uh, no. So, so, I mean, they, they got this rented house of friends of Nixon down the, down the beach a little bit there in uh, Monarch or uh, Monarch Bay or Monarch, California. And, you know, as David said, look, if you watch the interviews on television, they're, they're obviously because, again, they're, they're trimmed, right? You're, you're talking about taking out 21 hours mm-hmm. of, of content. And those 21 hours are mostly, like David said there, it's Nixon obfuscating and trying to avoid actually getting to this stuff. But <laughs> Frost ultimately does. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we should point out if they get to the 28 hour mark and he hasn't got Watergate in yet. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, yeah. There, there's a final like 45 minutes that they, they try to squeeze in, which of course end up being well the the most important, I guess, mm-hmm. part part of of the whole interview. And, and 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 the thing, you know, Nixon thinks he's done this well because he has strung this out, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. you're over 28 hours of shit, and you feel like it. Look, you know, I've, I've talked about my mom. I've talked about. Oh, Jesus. Uh, you, you know, like right. going to Africa. I talked about China. I talked about the EPA. I've talked about, talked about his mom for three hours. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, of course, the, the thing is, Frost was a good, well, he was good at composing the content they had. Mm. And they get it all packaged together and he starts sending it back out to these networks that punted Nixon back in the first, well, punted Frost back because. They, they didn't want to do or be part of what they could you know, checkbook journalism. Basically, they, they want to be like the national newspaper. You know, yeah. this is what was going on here. And once they see what Frost has got in these, well, initially four four programs that were, I think, an hour and a half long each. They go, oh, fuck. And, of course, right away, 
everybody, we got to get this guy. We got to talk to Frost. We got to get the stuff. We got to get the stuff out here. Frost goes on with uh, Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes. Again, Mike Wallace, probably one of the people who would have been more apt, more capable of conducting these interviews, but also wouldn't have gotten what David Frost ultimately got out of these because Nixon never would have sat there for long enough to finally say some of the shit that he said. He, he would have never felt comfortable with someone like Mike Wallace driving one of these interviews. You know, it would have been the guarded Nixon that, that he always was with dealing with that political media. And of course the funny part with this is that Frost had, well, effectively scooped CBS to the Nixon mm-hmm. interviews because CBS wouldn't pay for him and Frost would. So here they yeah. are having to turn around and get this guy on for a whole hour and 60 minutes on the Sunday night. And again, you know, the way they're edited is completely different from the way the interviews go. But right there, the very first one, I think it was May 4th of 77. The, the whole first 90 minutes is about Watergate somehow. The, the way that he cut this thing together and the way that, you know, it was produced masterfully. All of a sudden, look, you got everybody hook, line and sinker right there. I mean, the very first episode. 45 million viewers across the U.S., yeah. which still by far the record for a political interview. And it's it's fucking brilliant television. I mean, oh, it, it, I'm sure I'm sure during those 28 hours, if you were actually sitting there watching it, it would be the most boring fucking shit <laughs> in the world. But when you cut it down into these perfectly crafted 90 minute segments, it's it's great. Yep. And it's they're all on YouTube. Um, if you yep. want to go go watch people, I mean, it, look, um, folks, it's good enough. People made a film out of it. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's that's how and, good David Frost did with putting this stuff together. Ultimately, yeah, I, I, and th- there are times throughout the twenty the twenty eight hours that he is getting his arse handed to him. Oh, yeah. because he's wanting to talk about you know CIA's want to talk about Cambodia, and Nixon is just blithely talking away about any old shit that pops into his head, very confidently, very dully, and. Again, you know, running the clock down, but then he gets and and you 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 notice, and maybe it's just you and me being absolute fucking Nixon maniacs, right? And Watergate, you know, bores that. Um, but I do think Shane, you, you spot the change in the atmosphere, and suddenly it's not Nixon playing Nixon anymore. Suddenly we get that guy who was. Who's there? Who's always been there, but he keeps submerged the real human being. The, yeah, the, the the guy who was in the military, or the guy you know, yeah, who the, cares about his mom. <laughs> like, ha, I mean, Hannah Nixon's son, yeah, basically, yeah, because he spent yeah. three hours talking about his mom, and you wouldn't, you know, the, there's no authenticity there. It's just it, it's a spiel. It's 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 learned. It's it's something he's he's got. It's a trick. Whereas suddenly the questions, he he just opens and. Yeah. Does this look as he answers the famous question um, about "Are you sorry?" That suddenly we're back in the 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 the, the room at the White House when he's saying goodbye to his staff, yeah. and suddenly all of this facade around him comes down, and he's not looking at Frost. He's not looking into the camera. He's he's somewhere else entirely, and we get this honesty that we hadn't had. And of course, famously, he says he's sorry for the first yeah. time. Five years later, five years after it happened, you get that first apology. And by the way, he would recover pretty soon afterwards, and he would never ever do it again. It wasn't suddenly <laughs> that he had he had broken down. And I mean, you know, he lived another seventeen years. He never did it again. Yeah. 
it no. wasn't that he was suddenly he got it out and then he went on a mea culpa tour. It was the wall came back up and that Nixon, the real one, went inside and we got the the representative that we knew better off for the rest of his life. But for that that small period in that that twenty eight hours, we get an insight and you get a very humble small man who's made a terrible series of decisions. I don't want to say mistakes because. Uh, he he wouldn't describe them as mistakes. They were something that needed to be done. Yeah, they know. weren't mistakes. They were they no. were decisions. Um, yeah. and uh, he he is suddenly for once for once he's actually looking at them with this dormant thing called a conscience that exists in him, but he manages to keep suppressed the vast majority of the time. And out it pops, and and he's he, he's just left there and almost. Certainly, emotionally naked, and with all of these carefully constructed defenses down, and there's the famous scene in the film where backstage the production team start hugging, and you know John Bart, as you mentioned, there goes Jesus. I'm not going to lose my house uh, now <laughs> because <laughs> nailed it, and it's an incredible piece of television. And it goes back to something Shane and I have tried to convey throughout this: is that love him or hate him, and there are people on all sides of that debate, but. The man was like a one-man fucking theatre play his whole life. He he could conjure up drama on his own, in his face, in his eyes, that very few people could. Not deliberately. Not when he was acting. When he was acting, he was wooden as all wood. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he was not Reagan. He, but, no, I mean, yeah. just, just, just go back to the stage of the Grand Ole Opry there, and it's oh, some Jesus. of the most, God, it's painful to watch. Uh, <laughs> or whenever he cracks a joke. I mean, see the bit in his resignation speech where he, he's trying to have a joke with the camera, and he says, I'm always worried they're going to catch me picking my nose. And he looks <laughs> terrifying, <laughs> right? He looks evil. And you're like, that's him trying to catch yeah, uh, 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 Next is Every time he tells a joke, like two seconds later, he's looking at you. Is he going to laugh? Definitely. Yeah, laugh, please. <laughs> and you kind of go, ha, 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 to try and That's just move one. the conversation yeah. along. Uh, that is exactly what he is. And, but then occasionally he just gets completely... You're stripped naked of all that, and you get this bloke. And I think that's probably the reason you and I will continue to find them fascinating our whole lives yeah. is because oh, there are so many sides and parts and all of them. Um, that... well, well, I mean, it's, it's it's the dichotomy of them, and, and you know, again, you see, look, you, you do, you get the parts in this. You know, where he's, he's talking about uh, Frost gets him to talk about the, the CIA, as you said, and he said, look, you know, putting the CIA. And the FBI wasn't an obstruction of justice, he says, because the CIA acted in good faith. And because the CIA chose to act in good faith, even though I had told them to go fuck this whole process up, the CIA ultimately chose not to. So therefore, that's not an obstruction of justice, of course. <laughs> you know, and then you get... Loyally tricks. Yeah, you get, you get the famous line, you know, th this isn't about Watergate. Again, it's it's another one of these lines that gets misinterpreted over the years because people don't know the context. But but Frost is actually asking about, um, well, breaking up like anti-war protesters and stuff like that. You know, and what, what can the president do uh, if it's in the best interest of the nation or something, I think is, is how Frost phrased it. And, of course, you get the Nixon line. Well, when the president does it, that means that it's not illegal. Yep. You know. I, I mean, again, th this kind of shit, and again, a line that's not about Watergate itself, but does open open the can. And you know, I mean, Frost asks him, "Sort of, why didn't you burn the tapes?" Which kind of draws a wry smile from Nixon. And then uh, again, another answer about how 
well, for the good of the country, that <laughs> the, the, the same old, same old bullshit, but no, you, you do get, and it's the one clip I wanted to bring in here because again, look, you can go find all this stuff. Every you've probably seen, if you're listening this long in the series, I'm sure you've watched these interviews before, at least good chunks of them. You're familiar with the film, but there was one, one clip in here that I always loved because it's again, this is Nixon with the wall down. And this is a man, you know, as, as I said, look, this is 1970. He, he's supposed to be in the first few months of his retirement right now, not more than three years into it. And you can still see that he's struggling with what that means. Well, to him and, and what it means for, for the rest of his life. And, and, you know, he tries to, well, he's trying to convey this to Frost throughout this part of the interview here. I mean, you see, people, the the average person, and I understand this, I'm, I do not consider myself to be other than an average person. And none of us should, really. We all think we're a little smarter than we are. But you feel that, well, gee, isn't it just great to, you know, to have enough money to afford to live in a very nice house and to be able to play golf and to... Uh, uh, have uh, uh, nice parties uh, and to wear good clothes and shoes and suits, etc., 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 or travel if you want to? And the answer is, uh, if you don't have those things, then they can mean a great deal to you. When you do have them, they mean nothing to you. To me, the unhappiest people of the world are those in the watering places, the international watering places like uh, uh, the south coast of France and Newport and Palm Springs and Palm Beach, going to parties every night, playing golf every afternoon, then bridge, drinking too much, talking too much, thinking too little, retired, no purpose. And so, while I know there are those who totally would disagree with this and say, gee, boy, if I could just be a millionaire, that would be the most wonderful thing. If I could just not have to work every day, if I could just be out fishing or hunting or playing golf or traveling that'd be the most wonderful life in the world they don't know life because what makes life mean something is purpose a goal the battle the struggle even if you don't win it off the back of this gallup conducted a poll um 69 of americans thought nixon was still trying to cover up watergate 72 percent thought he was guilty of obstruction of justice and 75% thought that he should just recede from public life at, at all. And um, I'm he didn't. <laughs> no, he, he didn't. didn't. <laughs> no, uh, no uh, it's, it's, you know, you can hear it there. I guess I picked this clip because I, I think, you know, Nixon's still trying to come to terms with what he's meant to do, what he's meant to be. You know, he, he was going to be president and then leave that and retire the elder statesman and write some books and do some speaking tours or, you know, just, just, just enough to keep his mind active. 
you know, enough to keep him engaged, enough to keep him involved in the body politic. And, you know, still, this is a guy who viewed his role in the past 30 years of American history as maybe the most pivotal man in in all of it. And he didn't want to leave that, but he was forced to. And the, the, the Frost, the Frost interviews, I think, gave him impetus to be able to come back and really, yes. uh, he, he became a very good ambassador for the United States and the world again. He became somebody with, with important, I mean, this is a brilliant man with a lot of very good ideas about things. Look, stealing stealing your political rival's shoes or sending them pizza or breaking into the office of a psychiatrist to steal someone's <laughs> medical records, not great. But on the larger scale, this is a guy with a lot of really important, really thoughtful critical things to say about a number of issues and despite the misgivings of people after this interview he was invited back you know i mean obviously it helps that the reagan white house is filled with ex-nixon people that helps. um but but he's he's welcome back in because he is a man with with stuff worth listening to there's a wonderful story um reagan who didn't really have a lot of time for him um, as no, you mentioned, Reagan's all. staff did, but Reagan was sort of, you know, keep him away from me, uh, as somebody memorably described it. Uh, a hit actor doesn't want to star in a movie with a, an actor who's had a string of flops. Uh, <laughs> and so that was Reagan's rationale, he felt. But um, he was invited to do some diplomatic work. Uh, he would send uh, on unasked he would send for yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, unsolicited unsolicited yeah, thank yeah. you that is yes. a very <laughs> unsolicited advice about foreign policy to reagan uh, most of which was good but reagan ignored it. yeah I, th- I think if reagan listened to him he might have uh, avoided iran contrast he would have yeah uh, again again the, the lesson that republicans learned is circle the wagons and don't let anything happen to you yes. <laughs> not but, not don't do the crimes yeah, do the crimes probably, but then make sure us. Make sure nobody gets in trouble for the crimes. Find a patsy and move on. And Oliver North came along, you know, with a a, a patsy suit. Uh, or as Homer <laughs> Simpson said, he was poured into that uniform. Um, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he he goes. There's a wonderful story where Air Force Two, for there is such a thing, uh, yes. goes to pick uh, goes on a diplomatic mission to I think the Middle East. And it's decided to show how serious America are about this, that they will send three, count them, three ex-presidents. So on this trip are Gerald Ford, uh, Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon. And Nixon arrives looking, you know, suitably nervous. This is his, his invite back into the, the limelight. But, yeah. you know, Ford being Ford, he sort of brings the three of them together and they all sit and start talking. And Republican Senator Bob Dole, uh, who is quite a dry wit, I think we forget about that because of his unsuccessful 96 run. Remember the great pin badge, the Clinton campaign? Oh, yes. Uh, he had Dole in 96. They had Dole is 96, um, which is... Uh, uh, fair, fair. Famously portrayed also by the great Norm Macdonald on Saturday yes. Night Live. <laughs> I I think that that is that's up there when I like Ike. By the way, yeah, campaign for me <laughs> is ninety six. Um, but um, he was a very funny guy, Bob Dole. Uh, real cynical sense of humour, and he came off the plane, and of course, was a, a guard of honour by whichever country uh, they were going into, and they all come down and they're standing there, and the national anthems have played, and Bob Dole turned to a reporter and said. 
Look at them. Hear no evil, speak no evil, and evil. <laughs> now, I think you can guess who's who in that in that lineup there, folks. But um, he would write these pieces for foreign policy um, uh, magazines and uh, you know think tanks and whatnot. Uh, and he gets kicked. You know, the Bush administration kind of keep him clear as well. The president who actually brings him in, and I don't mean gives him a job or anything, he was too old for that by this stage, no. um, but regularly, regularly consulted with him, phone calls, correspondence, you name it, was Clinton. Yeah. Now, that seems just counterintuitive that the two Republican presidents ignored him, and Clinton, the Democrat, doesn't. But Clinton was... An excellent talent spotter. <laughs> and Clinton was very good at can I get something from someone? And he recognized in Nixon, he flattered him a great deal, by the way. Don't think that, you know, there was, Mac- well, that there was anything sort of uh, any power to it. He flattered that. He made Nixon feel very important. But of course, that's the Clinton way. Um, of oh, yeah. That guy get- can make you feel like the biggest person in the world for exactly. you know, do eight seconds he shook your hand. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah. he'll take, you know, he took Nixon's advice. And when Nixon dies in 1994, doesn't get a state funeral only u.s president who hasn't had one um doesn't get a state few oh that, that's not only u.s president that century who didn't andrew johnson yes. didn't get a state funeral <laughs> no no enough. he did not <laughs> uh, uh, neither, neither did poor old franklin pierce yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he wasn't there too long i mean uh, he, uh, he I, 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 I think i think he got have the office enough to, to maybe you know at yeah. least pay pay enough in the taxes to offset uh, some of the costs of it which pierce pierce did no, not so. no one term of Basically, the, the barman, well, or, or 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 one monthers in some yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah. Well, he just got buried. I mean, there was nothing else to be done with him. But uh, yeah, he so he dies, and the person who gives the eulogy at his at his funeral is President Bill Clinton um, yep. in 1994, which is just the final wonderful ironic makes no sense but yet in a strange way kind of does aspect of his life and that's where we that's that's where he leaves us and and his last couple of years weren't the happiest pat died he was sort of lost and lonely no well and i mean you still have him out there doing it i think we've talked about before i mean nixon basically just said well everything that's happening in ukraine right now would happen in 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 those last couple of years of his life, he did very famously. And folks, if you don't believe us, go and look at 1991. Richard Nixon um, writing about the breakup of the Soviet Union. He said, um, "It's great. What we need to do is help push them towards Western-style liberal democracy. Because if we don't, communism will not come back." Which certain people were saying it would at the time. He said, "No, communism is a busted flush. That's why they couldn't hold it together in the first place. Uh, the people of Russia won't accept it. But what we might get is a sort of militarist capitalism where uh, an elite uh, will seize power. Uh, they will become modern-style oligarchs. They will control a great deal of the wealth of the nation. They will control the military. They will control the media. And they will use that to try and reassert not the Soviet Union, but the Russian Empire. And you'll get this type of Russian ethno-nationalism. Um, checks notes, 
current war in Ukraine. Yep, yep. I think he was. <laughs> yeah, kind of nailed he, it. <laughs> he was brilliant at foreign policy. Yeah. He really was. He would have been the greatest Secretary of State of all time. <laughs> well, are you saying Henry Kissinger wasn't? Come on. Good yes, <laughs> I am saying that. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I am. Yes, openly. Um, but no, because if he'd if he'd been a secretary of state to a strong president, who would yeah. have said, "No, Richard, I know that you're probably right that he's not a very nice guy, but we're not allowed to nuke him." Um, then he would have been very effective. But um, he he did. He absolutely saw what would happen in in Russia, and that's that's thirty years. He he absolutely read the rise of of Vladimir Putin. Um, and the pitfalls that were to be avoided in getting it. But it's kind of like there are people in, you know, Tony Blair's, I think, a good example of this, that it doesn't matter what he says. Even if he's right on occasion, people just go, oh, fuck off. You know, and that was what happened to Nixon because, yeah, intellectual politicians would, would read it for what it was. But, you know, to members of the public, it was just Richard Nixon. You know, well, well, and also, you to, I mean, you, well, you've been well when you've been hearing from a guy for fifty years, you kind of get sick of it. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, there there, there is something to, uh, well, dying pretty quickly after you leave office or dying in office that tends to elevate your status. Uh, you know, as we've talked about with Kennedy in particular, I mean, pr- probably the best thing for the evaluation of John Kennedy's presidency is, the, well, the assassination because <laughs> without that, there's not a lot to look at. You know, um, Nixon had 20 years to, well, go out and do do this stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, it took him a few years to figure out how. And uh, it took him a few more years to figure out how to get back inside the circles they needed to. But, uh, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, I think he said in his um, in his speech to his staff on the last day uh, in the White House, that uh, you know, one of the great measures of a man is is well how how he continues to find himself useful, and Nixon did. You know, yeah. He 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 couldn't he couldn't be out he couldn't be on TV every day. I mean, granted, yeah, he did. He'd be on sixty minutes, and he'd be on these shows occasionally, weighing in on on the the, the political again, the mostly foreign policy issues of the day. But yeah. he did most of his work happily i think in the background and he had to learn to accept that role which which was hard for him i mean it was very hard for him he liked he liked being out in front he always had been uh yeah he was he was was that person well i mean he was that person for eisenhower you know eisenhower was not a a guy to get out there in front of the cameras eisenhower liked doing his business you know i mean look you're talking about the shafe commander he likes doing stuff in a dark room in london you know <laughs> i mean he doesn't like being out in front of the camp. nixon did that and you know his run for presidency in 60 and coming back in 68 and everything i mean this was a man who had to adjust and, and i think did so very well in the closing years of his life to to uh fill this kind of role yeah this, i think that that's a, a great point i think that yeah. And I, I think we could expand that, you know, maybe we'll do another show one day on it, I'm sure we will, about you know, what do you do if you've been the president of the United States of America? Where do you go after it? Because, yeah. you know, um, you, you're never going to do anything even close to what that George Bush is doing watercolors, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> I that's... think that's the way to go. I think it's just to go. I think so, what? too. There's, I think you, you should know, retire. 
There's no job I can do that's going to have anywhere close to... I mean, you can do what Carter did, but there is the argument about Carter, although, you know, he's done a lot of good stuff. He's been there... There's a couple of times some of his foreign policy interventions on his own have been pretty close to fucking treason, right? You know, like... You know, genuinely, like, going aid yeah. and comfort to... Um, certainly in North Korea at times, and he's done it with yeah. the best of intentions, but even so, it's like, your government's policy is actually the exact opposite of that, Jimmy. You're not allowed to go there... Um, until a government, you know, oh, I'll I'll make our government do this. Um, but it's that, you know, can you imagine what the come down must be, especially after years of it, of you have been, your every single moment and thought and decision is among the most important in the whole world. Yeah. 8.6 yeah. billion Everything people. you say is the most important, one of the five most important things that could be said in that moment at any given time. At any <laughs> given place. I mean, it might, and then suddenly you go off and yeah, you've got a staff and, you know, yeah, you're very important and, you know, I get all that, but there is a difference between that vitality and there can't be many offices. And I, yeah, I'll extend it, you know, in a lesser degree to, to, to Britain. The, the prime ministers, but because of our system, quite often they head back on to the back yeah, benches. They, they go you know, back to these, the bench. They, yep. Yeah, they're no longer. Whereas when when you've been president, especially if you've done the two terms, I mean, I suppose the the idea you can run again. We'll see if Trump does. I don't. I don't think it's a goal these days, to be <laughs> honest. But it's not going um, too well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's feasible now. But no. um, if you do your two terms, you know, Obama. Yep. Obama was was what fifty two when he came out of the White House. Yeah, and he could conceivably... well, he looked like he aged about twenty five years. I get dead eye, but yeah. he could conceivably live another thirty forty years, right? But yeah. presidents tend to live quite old, incidentally. Um, they have very good health care. It's they have very good uh, health care. It's a benefit of the job. <laughs> they do tend to live quite quite long lives, and um, yeah, I, I, you you must surely have this. You wake up, yeah, you have a holiday for a few weeks, spend time with your kids, and there's a tragically sad story about lbj going to the ranch and he would get all the staff together now and he would do that obviously in the white house and it would be you know the secretary of this and the undersecretary of that and the you know the advisor on this and all these oh critical issues he would get staff together at the ranch and he would be how many how many eggs did the chicken lays today right let's let's <laughs> tomorrow and he was just going through it was all he knew and of course he died after what four years yeah. Um, because yeah. he just you know, was bored shitless. And yeah. I, I think that he wasn't healthy, incidentally. You no, know, well, no, shit. I mean, he, he smoked about nine packs a day. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I drank more than Nixon. So, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he is an exception to that. But, uh, LBJ had a life well lived. Let's, uh, very yeah. much so. Very much so. The only president to say these tight, uh, these pants are too tight around my bunghole. Um, so he's well, I mean, honestly, I, you know, let's, going back, I think Taft is the only one to really re-enter public service on an official level, you know, because he I went back and right. served on the Supreme Court outside. Because, I mean, again, like you just said, what other job is there? You know, I mean, I there don't know. Maybe, maybe you could go be secretary general of the U.N., but you're not as important as you are as a president. I mean, that, that's a nothing job. Nobody gives a fuck. It's a diplomat. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of well, and, well, and, and, and you can be a diplomat without having some like Nixon was. You don't need an official posting. You know, no, you, 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 can't, don't, you, you don't can't need a job. One. No, yeah, you, no, you can't have one. But yeah. you, you've got to find something, somewhere to be. And in Nixon's case, he became a writer. Um, he wrote several more books. He wrote, um, as I say, a lot of articles about foreign policy. You can do that. Um, 
but uh, uh, you know, there's a great book called The President's Club uh, that I would advise people to read. That's about you know the relationships between presidents because they are the only people who understand each other. And some you know yeah. strange friendships. We just mentioned one on here that you maybe wouldn't expect based on the well, politics. The, the, the Bushes and the Obamas getting the Bushes and the Obamas. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they get you on know. tremendously. Uh, probably because yeah. they they both hate Trump. So that well, yeah, uh, that that makes it easy. Yeah, yeah they probably just sit there and throw darts at a picture of Donny. But um, yeah, they, they, you get these because they have experienced the family life of being yeah. a president that nobody or few others have. And um, in that, I think that there is one of the things I think that people, ex-presidents, have always had is a sort of unofficial rule that once one of the reasons a lot of them didn't like Carter, believe it or not, was that once you're done, you're done. Fuck up. Stop trying to get involved in... Yeah. Uh, you know, because I think it's true. I think once you're done, you've done the most important thing you will ever do in your life. That's you retired. Be like CJ Craig and the gang on <laughs> on the West Wing. Go and you know, have kids and you know get get a a farm with lots of dogs and and just relax and and try to. Well, Jimmy uh, Carter had a farm. They they took it away from him. <laughs> well, that's fair actually. I no wonder he did what he did. I know I'd forgot about that, and I now look upon it in a completely different farm. light. He loved, loved it. Easy worth two hundred million these days. Um, did you see actually the other week uh, that that Jimmy was a judge? at the annual Peanut Awards. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. So there are jobs out there for presidents yeah. once in a time. Well, hey, that man has built more houses than I think anybody else can claim. So. That is true. And, he's, and look, you know, that. a lot of people would say he, I mean, he has. Yeah, we can, we yeah. can joke about it. He has done a lot uh, in his post-presidency. Then there is, you know, that, that criticism of someone like George H.W. Bush, who just basically, as you say, keeps himself to himself and tries to keep out of... Um, and his his view on it, and I tend to this as well, is no good can come of me sitting there critiquing everything that the current president does because, uh, you know, there's almost a tacit understanding that you don't do that, that you should have more respect for the pressures that the person will be under because yeah. you've been there and you should understand it's a tough job and it doesn't really help to have somebody carping at the sidelines. So I, I do get that, but I, I think that's a really fascinating thing about how do you handle it. And Nixon, of course, is, as always, a little bit more fascinating because the circumstances around him, and it's difficult when one of you know, 45 men have been president, it's, as always with him, this, he's unique, he's the one, and it's, sometimes it's for good reasons and sometimes <laughs> it's for really, really bad reasons. But he always had to, to go and do that. There was no instruction manual for him on, on how to do it. Um, and, you know, he lived, as I say, another 17 years, Pat passed away in 1992, and yeah. he was, you know, bereft and lost. And he's, his children, yeah. yeah, his children yeah. knew. Like, a lot of couples have been together that long. When yeah. one goes, the other doesn't. doesn't That's it. Do My grandparents, themselves. both sides. Yeah, so same. You know, same. But yep. once yep. one went, the other was, you know, and and they Months. knew it. They used to they used to joke about it, yeah, beforehand. Say, oh, when one of us goes, it will, you know, get two coffins kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. um, it was it was the same. And uh, and he passed away. Um, and I think his reputation, ironically, I think has actually got better with the release of the tapes that came after his death because people began to try to understand him and not yeah. see him as this two-dimensional figure. And you can you can play somebody in their correct, and I hope we've managed this, we have tried to, of not trying to tell you, here was a wonderful, sainted man, or here was a fire-breathing, 
you know, horrific gargoyle because people tend not to be that. There tends to be sides to their character unless, you know, the, the you know, the, the psychopath basically. There tends to be shades of grey and in Nixon's case there are so many and ironically, again, again, there's so many ironies throughout his life. Ironically, I think it's the, the tapes that he fought to to come out are actually the things that helped people almost rehabilitate him. Not in terms of he did, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, unless you're Tucker Carlson. Um, but more, <laughs> more a case of here was a flawed man who did some evil things, but here's the complete story, and I think yeah. that's always more interesting. Well, and I think to you know just just to close the the Nixon part here, I I, I think to there's been a lot more worse shit done by white houses since then that has become public. And I think it allows people to reframe Watergate. Um, well, in, in the proper context of, of what it was, I ran Contra is far worse. Everything in the Trump white house is far, far worse, far worse for the nation and for the world. And I, I think that that allows, you know, with time and with, more information with more of the tapes with more context allows people to to better frame uh well nixon's presidency and well you know they, there lies richard nixon which leaves us david with well one last question and one the most important one and one that will never be answered why why <laughs> Oh, no God. one knows. I, I, no they, one knows still. Go. That's the answer. No one. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they did, and that's probably the ultimate tragedy at the heart of Watergate that they didn't really know what they no. were doing or why they were doing it. Well, and so many of them spent the years after the one. The ones that I think were more honest, you know, like Baldwin or Butterfield or uh, well, John Ehrlichman, I think was probably the most outward look I'll, I'll come out and talk to you and he he did great interviews again i mean I, we, we talked about a number of them throughout the series of his post watergate interviews and his post contrition and just giving himself up and going to jail uh again I, I would firmly recommend if you want to see just a good honest interview with a very good interviewer go watch him on the david letterman show it's, yes. it's quite quite good um but you know the 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 weird thing is with the more we've gotten say, like you said, with the tapes, the more we've gotten about Nixon, the more understanding we've gotten of, well, just a man and, and how this stuff occurred. The more we've gotten about Watergate itself, I think the, the less, the less we've understood why they did this. I, I, I think, you know, in 2013, you had records from, from Liddy's trial uh, made public finally that showed four of the five burglars, thought that it was a campaign operation to find evidence linking Cubans to the, to the democratic committee, to the democratic yep. party, which explains, you know, this is, I'm sure that's what they told the four Cubans. It you was. Know? I mean, it, it, of course, um, forever people thought that the break-in was to target Larry O'Brien's offices. But when you got Baldwin's list of targets released again in 2013, O'Brien isn't on there. You know, it's it's a bunch of his underlings, Spencer Oliver, who we talked about, uh, Oliver's secretary, some other people, um, you, you know, and, and and it's taken 
people have tried to reframe this. And again, you know, the Ehrlichman, I, I really do, because I think he more than anyone else out of that White House really did take the effort to go out and try to talk to people and, and at least try to try to explain. You know, Nixon did it one time with Frost and then never fucking again. Never again. Nope. Never again. He slipped one time and that was it. Ehrlichman did go out there. And here's here's a clip. that This is from the program After Dark. The British, I don't know, they, they sat around basically and talked about this kind of shit. And again, like with everything else, go oh, look at all, all this stuff's people, on YouTube. There's so much There shit. are many people my age, Shane, who... 14, 15, 16-year-olds absolutely hammered back in the day when British television shut down at midnight except Channel 4's After Dark. <laughs> when when we had four fucking channels, remember? Um, yeah, many of us got to see some discussions on French cinema or American politics <laughs> because there was nothing else to watch. So we well, go after I love I love this one too because you know, Alec made it at the beginning because he went back into advertising, you know, and and started helping out. So he's talking about a ice cream that he had to help create a, a, a advertising program around, and the fact that it was ninety three percent fat free, and of course, you know, they're, they're talking well, so it's seven percent fat, ninety three percent fat free. That's what like. But I mean, here, here he is. You know, this conversation evolves from, from that kind of stuff into well, finally Watergate. And I think, you know, again, you have to listen to the people that were there and all of their explanations, and then try to piece it together and come up with your own answer for why. And here's Ehrlichman doing his best in 1987. What they say. At, at, at what point does at, at what point does an omission become a lie? Yeah. I mean. It, Watergate was full of this. It was full of this whole argument about not so much lying as just not telling the truth. Well, was it not? I mean, I think to some extent you're you're correct, and and we're seeing it now in Mr. Bobbitt's hearings uh, uh, all over again. Except the American people aren't watching. Uh, The only difference. Uh, (laughs) The the um, uh, the, stop watching. The Testimony is very carefully trimmed to to attempt to avoid the penalties of perjury and all that kind of thing. So one says only what he can safely say, and uh, and leaves out the rest. Well, in Watergate, how much were were some of the things that happened also regarded as conventions by the people who were actually committing them? Oh, I think quite a number of them. The so-called dirty tricks yes. in in our campaigns have been going on for decades. Um, well, like the um, um, sending the pizza pies to one candidate, you know, this flood of pizza pies came to this fellow's headquarters, uh, supposedly on order by his staff. Thousands of dollars worth of pizza pies flowed in there. Uh, that kind of nonsense has been going on for uh, as long as I've been watching politics. And, and there would have been justifications. I mean, take the Daniel Ellsberg break-in, mm. the break-in for the psychiatric history of a individual who was clearly troublesome to the Nixon administration. How, in those days, presumably if I were meeting you then, there would be a justification for it. That, that was a course of conduct that had been going on in our federal government for many, many years. And the justification? Justification was that the man stole state secrets, that he had delivered them to the Russian and other embassies, that uh, Henry Kissinger felt very strongly that he was a threat to national security because he was in possession of other important secrets, uh, so-called psyops, the the uh, 
nuclear counter strategy and a lot of fear in the president's office that uh, this man would expose other secrets. Um, and so? So uh, it was a question whether this uh, uh, sort of investigation, this break-in, would be done by the FBI, who had done many of them, or by somebody else. And unfortunately, it was done by people uh, very close to the White House. Decided by who? We don't know. Don't know. Uh, n- none of it. Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, Ehrlichman's been great, and the people who have really come out and, and try to tell their part in the story, again, with the obvious exception of John Dean, who uh, don't listen to uh, anything he says, grain of salt. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. No, Dean, um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and he's someone that I think you, you can't see a documentary about Watergate, and you and I have seen them all. Yeah. Um, in fact, we would quite like people to make some more. But uh, you can't watch one without John Dean coming out and saying the same lines. I mean, if I hear him say one more time, Gordon Liddy thought he was James Bond, but he was more like Maxwell Smart, I will hit him with a stick. Um, <laughs> but, you, but you're now getting the, the John Dean version. You're getting the John yeah. Dean story. He's never, ever, ever going to tell you anything other than that and it's a shame Ehrlichman you're absolutely right I agree with you by the way I think Ehrlichman um, Ehrlichman was honest and people don't like that and I think he was honest even at the time not that stopped him committing illegal acts it doesn't but he was the one who always knew what they were doing now he rationalised it to himself well, he, he, he was, was doing it right there, you know. Yeah, yeah, he, he rationalized. <laughs> we always did this shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, th- th- yeah, basically everyone did this shit, so we did it as well. He yeah. he rationalized it to himself, but he was the one who, as you say, went, did his time, accepted, you know, this was wrong and we were wrong. We did it, we thought, for the right reasons, but you can't do that. Um, and I think that it's it's a shame that more of them didn't, didn't take that um, because the Nixon thing makes me think that they did on some level, right? On some level, he knew, he knew he was wrong. He knew what he'd done was wrong, but he just couldn't allow himself. Um, And Dean has spent the years trying to finesse his reputation. And given the way you and I think about it, he hasn't managed, (laughs) you know? So why not just be honest, tell the truth? Um, You've done your time for it just come out that you know this idea that he was some little saintly figure that just got caught up in it yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's a slimy lawyer he's I mean, a slimy little lawyer yeah and, and you were an ambitious little guy that would have done anything to, to get ahead just come yeah. out and say it you know just come out and say yeah. look i was i was a you know um it, because there was too many of us who thought this way that's why this happened um you know they i, I think Ehrlichman's like do you know who the most honest guy in this is the whole story is gordon liddy yeah. <laughs> yes, he had his, yes, he had his fantasies. Yes, he thought he was this or that. But Gordon Liddy has, from from the second that happened, came out and went, oh, yeah, we were doing illegal things. And yeah. then we tried to cover it up. Uh, and then I went to jail. And then I came out. By the way, I still think those illegal things were worth doing because of the fucking <laughs> long hairs and the commies and the freaks. And I would do it again. And well, I mean, that, 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 that first thing, you know, he went home and told his wife, honey, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail. <laughs> Liddy yep. was the one guy, I think, who throughout it from minute one knew this is wrong. Uh, or this is considered wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's right. And then when it went tits up, pled guilty, never, you know, didn't dick about, did his time, came back out and then straight away just said, yep, 
that this is what I did. This is why I did it, and I would do it again. Um, and and you know you you might not like. I mean, we don't. Or normal people are not going to like that. But I can at least respect that rather yeah. than well, yeah, I did it, but you know I didn't want to do it. You fucking did, John. Right? Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. You, you know, I, I guess. I mean, to 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 try to give you my answer why, and to to finish up with uh, well this whole part of the series here I, Howard Hughes that's why and that's that's what I'm going to stick to Howard Hughes and that's, that's the end of it right there it's as plausible as anything else so fuck it yeah but listen Howard Hughes is it you you said it earlier and it's so true could Howard Hughes been controlling the US I would have said no before I read all this stuff because you know conspiracies they don't have oh wait shit um <laughs> you know so why not why not so there you go folks nine episodes and we never explained why because nobody can so, <laughs> there you go um ah it's been it's been great i mean i've loved doing this and again we're not done uh, please scroll down into the show notes like david said if you didn't pause it at the halfway point Go down now. Leave us a question. There's a link down there. It's you, you pop it on your phone or whatever. You hit the button. Your microphone comes on. Give us your name. Give us your question. If you got a Twitter handle or something, please feel free to drop that in there. And uh, we're, we're going to come back. We're going to do those. And like I said, we're, we're still going to figure out. I, I, I might be down with doing a live show, but we're going to see how many of these questions that we get in the first place. And, you know, we'll kind of take it from there. And I'm sure, David, we haven't figured out what yet. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time, what to do next. And then we both kind of, well, you know, if we were in the same room together, we'd look at each other awkwardly and laugh and then start talking about whatever was on the television. Because yeah, let's, I, do, I, water, I, let's, let's do Watergate. Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I, we, we have, we've gotten a lot of suggestions, obviously, you know, I'm more than happy to entertain anything, but it's got to be something at some point. Me and you are, I mean, there's going to be a trigger moment. We're going to be like, oh, yeah, yep, that's it. All right, let's let's go do uh, 15 hours on that. that well, I, 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 th- I think we should do the Civil War, but that's, that's just me. The real one, oh, your one, not, not our one. Our yeah, one was no, yeah, yours was bullshit. That oh, was bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And then we fucking switched everything back 10 years yeah, later. What was yeah. the point of that, right? Yeah. Oh, we must kill the king. Uh, does anyone know where the king's son is, by the way? Because uh, <laughs> we're going to put him back in chat. What the fuck was that even? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, the, the reason that whole thing took that long is because there wasn't Twitter back then. With Twitter, That's... that that would have been done in about two and a half months. Could have wrapped, <laughs> could have real. Look, we've made a mistake here, lad. Right? You know, <laughs> somebody's going to have to go and tell Oliver Cromwell. Okay, but. <laughs> you know thanks but with that yeah so uh, that's one listeners can let us know what they think but uh, oh, yeah, I think so. yeah. because of course Shane and I are not the type to go right Civil War began in 1861 at Fort Sumter <laughs> Shane and I are the type to go so we have to go all the way back to the first settlements in 1620 <laughs> so John Locke in uh, 1638 wrote <laughs> <laughs> well if you're going to do something do it right <laughs> So, like I said, that, that's it for this part. Again, what we're going to do, we want your guys' help, some participation, whatever. Again, any questions, or like I said, if there's something that you want some more answers on that we touch, if there's something that we didn't get into that you want some more, just like said, scroll down, hit that link. It's in the show notes. All you got to do is leave us a quick voicemail, and we will we'll get to it uh, at, at a later episode here. So, David, that's, that's it. David, of course, you can always find that heart in hand. Uh, if you want to talk to him about Watergate, you find him on Twitter at David A. Edgar 23 
And yeah, it's been fun. This has been yeah, it's been good. It has. It's, Thank it's, you. Very it's much al- it's almost sad here. I mean, this is. I, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't know what I'm going to do for an hour and a half uh, every week or so. <laughs> we've got another one. We've got another one to go, right? So yeah. don't don't, yeah. don't be sad. No, it's we're, over. We're, Just be no. glad that it happened, and, and <laughs> I'm sure we'll find something else to rabbit about. All right, and of course, with me, you can find everything on Twitter. At Avoid. Um, yeah, so scroll down. Please hit that link if, if you guys liked all this stuff. Help us out here with the crow again. Buy me a coffee link with David's stuff. You hit them on uh, Patreon, the heart and hand Patreon. And that's it. That's episode nine of Watergate 50. Next time, we're going to take some of your questions. We'll talk to you then. It is just too tricky for a chump like me to use. Oh, you. You take that stuff, you made a serious buy. Serious. You just might get a seizure from the evening news.